Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Praying in the Spirit. This is uh, part one, which is learning how to pray in the Spirit. And this is lesson number 11 that uh, is uh, going to be the first of three lessons in the series that will focus on what are the things that hinder us from uh, praying in the Spirit? Uh, there are, uh, we cannot pray. Uh, let me just read this. We cannot pray in the Spirit if we do not have liberty in the Spirit to be able to freely pray in tongues. We don't. We can't. It's not possible. Since the Holy Ghost abides in us all of the time, we should, quote-unquote, automatically be able to pray in tongues as long as all hindrances to us yielding or eliminated. Now, this is my personal conviction, but it's also my lifestyle that I believe, according to the things that I'm teaching you from the Word of God, I believe that I should be able to and need to be able to pray in tongues at any point in time I need to pray and don't know what to pray for. Or at any point in time, the Lord would want to pray through me night or day. And again, since I taught, just to summarize real quickly in the, the last lesson, first of all, uh, Speaking in tongues is a spiritual experience, not an emotional experience. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Not as their emotions got worked up and they made a bunch of noise uh, that they didn't understand what they were saying and nobody else did either. That is not in agreement with the Word of God on this subject. As I have spent already 10 lessons discussing in relative detail. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that I have the Holy Ghost all the time. I don't have to work up the Holy Ghost. I don't seek for, I don't have to seek for the Holy Ghost to come and speak through me. If I am baptized with the Holy Ghost and walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, I have the Spirit of God in me all the time. He has taken up residence in me. He has claimed me as his temple. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost individually. Now, the church of the living God is also the temple of the Holy Ghost collectively, but that's two completely different relationships with God. I personally am a temple of the Holy Ghost, and the body of Christ collectively is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And so, therefore, since I am a temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost abides in me, then it's only a matter of 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 learning how, as the Spirit teaches, to be able to yield to the Holy Ghost at any moment, at any time uh, that it is needed or necessary. Needed by me or necessary for God. And so that's really important. And finally, the Holy Ghost is a gift. I don't have to earn it or deserve it. And so I should be able to have the Spirit of the Lord working in me at all times. Now, the question of this lesson and the next two is, what is, uh, what are those things that hinder us? Uh, 
because it is my faith, and I've seen literally thousands of people receive the baptismal Holy Ghost uh, in my ministry in the last 50 years, helping them understand that the Holy Ghost is a gift that can't be earned or deserved, that it has to be received by faith, and that if I have faith and God has promised me I'd receive the Holy Ghost, then if I don't receive the Holy Ghost, it's not because it's not God's time, or it's not yet God's will, or it's not for everybody. If I don't receive the Holy Ghost, it there are reasons. I call them hindrances. And there are five basic areas where a hindrance in my life would prevent me from being able to have liberty in tongues. And if you want to be able to pray in the Spirit, you've got to be able to, you've got to have liberty in speaking in tongues. Now we're not, I said it before, I'll say it again. We're not seeking to speak in tongues. We're seeking for a free flow of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the living water. And the living water not only lives in us as a fountain, but that fountain is the source of rivers. And those rivers flow out of us. And as I've already taught several times, that outflow is in supernatural language. And as I will teach in part two of this series, there are very specific flows of the Holy Ghost where the Holy Ghost is flowing to do different things. And I won't get into that now because I got a whole series of lessons in part two to discuss each of those. But right now, the question is, you can't participate in any of them, not because God doesn't love you, not because it's not the will of God, if you don't have a free flow of the Spirit of God through you in other tongues. And what we want to do in these, this lesson and the next two is discuss what are those hindrances. In this lesson, we're only going to focus on the first hindrance. I want to, I want to say this to you. I'll be saying it to you some more. Having liberty in the Holy Ghost is not hard unless we make it hard. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to eliminate the things that make it hard. And this first one is the most obvious one, and it is the one that uh, really can be most easily dealt with if we will allow it, the Lord to help us do that. And of course, uh, there are actually two parts to this one, and you'll, I won't discuss the second part yet. So the, the, the number one thing that hinders people that have the baptism of the Holy Ghost from flowing in the Holy Ghost, just like these five things will keep a person that's never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost from receiving it the first time, these five things will, will hinder a person who has once been baptized for the Holy Ghost but does not have any liberty or flow or victory in the flow of the Spirit in tongues in their lives. Same five things. Number one, what we're going to talk about in this lesson is unrepented sins. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Since you can't receive the Holy Ghost the first time without repentance, if you reach a place in your life where all you're doing is basically repeating the same sounds when and if you do speak in tongues, there is no liberty there. And the first place we look 
if we want to have victory in our lives and a flow of the Spirit of the Holy Ghost through us in tongues so that we can pray in tongues and praise in tongues and uh, uh, and minister in tongues is we have to let the Holy Ghost be willing to examine us and reveal to us those areas that we need to repent. Now, personally for me, I believe that repentance is something I'm supposed to do every day. And I will say this to you, uh, repenting every day, I don't, I have learned that I don't have to go through details of every single thing I may or may not have done that, uh, the, the last 24 hours since I prayed and repented at the beginning of the, the morning the previous day. I don't have to do that. However, there are certain things that when I'm praying, and I'm seeking God for to confess and and to surrender to His will, so that I can repent, which is change of direction, change of mind, change of direction, change. Uh, for that to be the case, I, I, He will. There are certain things that a general prayer of repentance, and I basically pray this prayer every day, and then add specific things to it as the Lord gives me, Father. Uh, according to your love and grace, I, I, I confess all of my iniquities and every sin that those iniquities have produced, uh, in Jesus' name. Now, I find that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, that particular prayer is sufficient for the Lord to forgive me. Now, there are times there is something that I have done or not done that is stuck in my mind. And I have to repent for that specifically. That doesn't mean I have to go over the gory details of it. But the word confess, uh, as used in 1 John 1, 9, it says, where, where John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confession there is the word, Greek word, and I'm not pronouncing it correctly because I'm not a Greek scholar, scholar homologio. And, uh, and what it means, it comes from two words to speak the same thing together. I am speaking in agreement with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost and the Word of God says that's wrong. The Word of God says it's wrong. The Holy Ghost convicts me of it. That's wrong. When I confess, I'm saying to God, I agree with you. Father, that is wrong. I should have done this and didn't. I didn't do this and uh, uh, didn't do this and should have. I did this and shouldn't have. And so, therefore, in that particular case, I have. I I I may need to be specific about that thing. I want to repent, whether in general or uh, confess and repent, confess and. Surrender to the will of God, which is both parts are necessary. Submit my will to his will. Uh, confess in agreement with him. That's wrong. Uh, I, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. Uh, and I, uh, I surrender to his will because the root of all sin is iniquity and iniquity is doing my will rather than the father's in anything. So there's a lot of sins we commit. We don't even acknowledge our sins because 
We're doing our will and we actually have the audacity to pray and ask God bless us doing our will, not his. That's sin. According to Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that was enough. That unrepented iniquity was enough for people to be not saved. And I don't want to go into that now, but you're welcome to read that uh, because it's very critical. So iniquity was the original sin in heaven. And iniquity is the root cause of all sin on earth. Any sin I commit, whether it's something I did or shouldn't have done or something I didn't do that I should have, it has its roots in me doing my will, not God's will. That's iniquity. According to Jesus, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And so therefore, I'm confessing my iniquities. And then because every of every sin, the stuff we call sin, is, is a child of, a product of iniquity. Nobody commits sin without first being involved in iniquity. Nobody. Because since iniquity is a pro, is talking about my will, whether I'm doing my will or God's will, and sin, the act of sin, the act of not doing is an act, what I should have done, and the act of doing what I shouldn't have done is an act. Those are the acts, and sins are acts. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. So lust is not sin. Lust is the thing that produces sin. Lust is the father of sin, which is conceived by lust and produced as an offspring of lust. But it is sin. It's the act of sin, whether, again, it's the act of inaction. Uh, when I when he didn't know what to do good, doeth it not. It's sin. And sin, when it's finished working on us because we're not repenting, we die. We die a spiritual death first because the scripture says that we can send our sins before us to judgment or we can have those sins follow us to judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I prefer, (laughs) it is my choice, my desire to send my sins before me to judgment. That's the desire. That's the need that I would send my sins before me to judgment. And so therefore, I need to repent. I need to repent of all of my sins. And if I don't have a liberty in tongues, and I'm begging you, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm begging you not to settle for the same old sounds you always make when you are trying to speak in tongues. That is not victory. That is not liberty. And that is not submission to the Holy Ghost. Any more than your child, if you have one, would be considered acceptable or normal to you if the child, the childish gibberish they sound before they ever making noise of uh, speaking actual uh, words that you can understand and you know they mean. It's not acceptable with you if at 
five or ten or twenty, they're still using that same kind of sounds as they're learning how to yield. And I'm using the spiritual terminology now as they're learning how to yield to the spirit of God so that their their tongue becomes more and more fluent. That's not acceptable. And I've said this already and I'll say it again. Uh, the evidence of the Holy Ghost is speaking with other tongues. Now, speaking in other tongues may be a syllable or two initially that is repeated. I mean, if the Holy Ghost has me saying, thank you, Jesus, in some other language, and I'm going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, but I don't know what I'm saying, I'm speaking in tongues. And the two particular examples that I've mentioned to you before, uh, in a previous lesson where I heard a, a, a brother, a pastor in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, speak in tongues saying, finally, you have healed me. Finally, you have healed me. Finally, he never said anything else. He kept repeating that, but he was speaking in English and didn't know English. Or the little lady in uh, the northern part of Zambia that I was praying with that received the Holy Ghost. She received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she was saying, take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Well, if those, if, we, if we're hearing somebody speak in tongues and they're repeating a couple of syllables over and over, it is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But God forbid that they stop there. And that's what all of these lessons are about. To encourage you not to stop there. And if you have stopped there, to go forward. But if you used to have liberty in tongues and you're back to where you don't have any flow, and if you do speak in tongues, it's kind of the same words repeated again, don't accept that. That's not victory. It's not liberty. So what do you need to do? You need to search the Spirit you need to present yourself before God at a time of rededication and consecration and a, and a time of repentance and, 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 and pray until you have a breakthrough into a liberty and a flow of tongues where you know something's happened. And when you do that and you continue to practice that and flow in the spirit over the next few days or whatever, now you're beginning to be ready to pray in the spirit. To pray in the spirit. Now, the other part of this that Jesus connected to unrepented sins is that sometimes unforgiven sins aren't because we're not asking for repentance, but we're not able to receive repentance or forgiveness because we are not, we're holding grudges against other people. Now, I'm not trying to sneak this in on you, but it's connected. Jesus connected being forgiven of your sins with forgiving grudges against you. Now, God often, in fact, usually fills people with the Holy Ghost with grudges unless their grudge or grudges have reached such a place of bitterness that they cannot, they don't have, uh, they, they eat up with it. And when I've been praying with people that the Holy Ghost was trying to move on them, but they wouldn't let go of their grudge, they couldn't receive the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost would speak to it, and I, and I would begin to talk to them and say, I'm sorry, but you cannot receive the Holy Ghost this, at this moment when God wants you to have it, unless you forgive whatever it is you're holding on to. Because whatever you're holding on to is too much of a hindrance for him to give you the Holy Ghost. Because 
If God only gave the Holy Ghost to people that had absolutely no grudges at all, no offenses, no hurts, no wounds, or any other words we want to use to try to deny what we've got, then almost nobody would get the Holy Ghost. But God, having confidence in himself, gives people the Holy Ghost with grudges as long as that bitterness is not overwhelming, knowing that over the period of time, as they begin to grow in him, he will appoint a time, okay, you're going to deal with this grudge. And then appoints a time, you're going to deal with this grudge. And as long as when he deals with me, I submit to him in that, I can continue to have liberty and victory in the Holy Ghost. But if I don't have victory in the Holy Ghost, and I have repented of all my sins, then before I look at the other four hindrances to me having a a liberty and a flow of the Holy Ghost in tongues that I will speak about in the next two lessons, the next lesson will be one of those, and the third lesson will be the last three because they kind of fit together. Uh, then the first place I've got to look before I look at any of those other hindrances is, is he talking to me about my grudges? And let me tell you something. If something from your past, I don't care how long ago it was, last week or the beginning of your life when you were a child, if it keeps coming into your mind, then you've got to deal with that offense. The Apostle Paul said it this way. And, and, and it's the most amazing place for it to be said because he is standing before the king. He is talking to the king. And he is a prisoner. He's in chains or bonds or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and, and he is pleading his case. And right in the middle of talking to the king, he makes this statement, which I don't think the king could have cared anything about. But Paul was speaking down through the ages to all believers that would ever hear this account. He's been rejected by his brethren, by his kinsmen, by the people that he was a part of as a religion. And they want him dead because he is undermining their faith because of his experience on the road to Damascus. And his passionate preaching because of that. And so he says this. Herein do I have, do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. That's Acts 24, 16 again. Herein do I exercise myself. And when I pray this, a lot of times I'll add a word to stress because to me, this is what Paul is implying. Herein do I exercise myself daily. To have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. The Bible in basic English reads this way. And in this, I, I do my best at all times to have no reason for shame before God or men. Wavis New Testament says, this too is my earnest endeavor. Always to have a clear conscience in relation to God and man. And the New Testament a translation uh, says... In this too, I myself strive always to keep a conscience void of offense against God and and human beings. Now, it's really important here to understand exactly what grudges do to us. An offended conscience. What is a conscience? First of all, Strong says the word means co-perception. Co-perception. 
And perception is the act or faculty of perceiving or apprehending by means of the senses or of the mind. It is cognition, understanding. It also means immediate or intuitive uh, recognition or appre- uh, appreciation as of moral, psychological, or aesthetic qualities. Insight, intuition, discernment. Now, that's the natural definition of the word perception. The word, the, the prefix co, C-O, uh, is, it means uh, joint, mutual, or common. And the, uh, the Greek, the Thayer's lexicon def- definition of the word conscience means the soul is distinguishing between what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter, commending one, condemning the other. So when Paul said, I have an offended conscience, what he's really saying is, I have lost the co because the biblical concept of conscience is God's spirit talking to my human spirit. And every human being is born with a conscience. Society, false doctrine, culture, experience, all are trying to eliminate the conscience so I can live according to my will without any guilt, shame, or condemnation. And that's true of sinners. But what about the Holy Ghost anointed conscience that the, that the born again believer has? If my conscience is offended, I've lost the co. That means every perception I have about anything is unreliable. I can't count on it. And so whatever perceptions I have about people, what their motive was, uh, that, that always just, just, it would be absolutely hilarious, fall down on the floor laughable if it wasn't so eternally damning for me to presume I know why you did something and be offended because of what I, what I believe is the reason you did it is ridiculous. Why? Because the Bible says, I don't even know my own heart which is the seat of the why, the motive. And if I don't know my own heart, how in the world can I presume to know what your reason for doing something was? The bottom line is this. Even if my motive or that person's motive to offend was to offend you, still, you're the one that loses the co. The offended person loses the co in the perception. And now everything I think Every perception I've got becomes unreliable. But that's not all. The words void of offense come from one Greek word, and they mean not leading into sin, faultless. Uh, It means having nothing to strike against, no cause to stumble, because that word void of offense comes from two words that means that's the negative prefix in head of the word ahead of the word to strike out against. And that's what a grudge causes you to do. Even if it means I just cut that person off, I don't talk to them anymore. That's striking out against them. Even if it means whenever their name comes up, I cringe inside, even though I don't say anything. That's vengeance. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Vengeance is mine. 
I will repay, saith the Lord. And so having, having a conscience that's void of offense is having a conscience that is not, has not lost the, the co so that I'm not listening to God anymore. And so I'm perceiving everything from my perspective only and according to my feelings and my hurts. And that causes me to want to punish that person somehow. Again, even if it's nothing but their name coming up and going, well, I can say a whole lot with, well. Or how about this one? This is the typical saved person's way to gossip and to strike out at that person. I just want to request prayer for so-and-so because you don't know what they did to me. What am I doing? I'm spreading my own offense and bitterness. Because if I'm talking to somebody that loves me and I've been wronged, their love, because I'm doing wrong and talking about someone and taking vengeance on them by downgrading their name because love hides a multitude of sins. Love hides a multitude of sins. So if I'm, if I'm sharing even something that is true about a person, I'm not doing the work of God. The word devil means traducer according to Strong's. Well, I don't use the word traduce, but the word I do use, it's, it's definition or synonym is uh, uh, slander. And the work of the devil is the slanderer. He's the accuser and the slanderer. And even if what I'm saying is true, why am I saying it? Why am I telling it? Vengeance. Let me tell you something right now. Jesus said, if I don't forgive, I'm not forgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if you're trying to repent of your sins, and you don't get any liberty, and you're not getting a breakthrough, before you go on to considering any one of the next four major hindrances, the next thing you need to do is say, Father, if I've got a grudge against anybody, show it to me and give me the grace to forgive because I want to be forgiven. You know, it's bad enough to go to hell because of something I've done I shouldn't have done or something I didn't do that I should have done. But to do all of that, to do all the do's and not do the don'ts and be lost because I wouldn't forgive somebody else because of what they did to me. That's not very wise. It's not very wise. When our bitterness is so great and intense that it hinders our faith to have liberty in the spirit, it then becomes absolutely necessary for us to deal with our grudges before God will give us liberty in the Holy Ghost. That is his will for us to have. He desires to have it, for us to have it, and it's his will for us to have. The reason that is is because our unrepented sins or unforgiven grudges, which produce unforgiven sins, are hindering us from having victory in Jesus. And I want you to remember this. First and foremost, the blood was shed on the cross to do two things. First, to forgive me of my sins. But second, to pay the price of every offense anyone's ever done for me so that when I forgive them, 
I forgive them in the person of Christ. And why does Paul say we're supposed to do that in 2 Corinthians 2? Lest Satan would gain an advantage of us because we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant. Now, in the last few moments in this lesson, I just want to mention this. There's another part of this. It's when I have grudges against myself. Well, how do you have a grudge against yourself? Everything you blame yourself for. Everything you can't let go of. Now, I'm not going to get into that here. I have two video series on shame. And shame will definitely keep you from having liberty when God wants you to finally be healed and made, be made whole. They're on uh, both Apostolic Iron YouTube channel and Bible with the Bishop YouTube channel. And there's two seminars that I taught on how to get rid of your shame. And so rather than talk about this here in just a few minutes, if you really want to be healed of all your shame and be completely free from your past, I'm encouraging you to watch those seminars. Now, sometimes I can't speak in tongues because I feel so unworthy. And that's a grudge I have against myself because the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the love of God's being shed in my heart by the Holy Ghost proves God says I'm worthy in him. So therefore, the key comes back to this. What am I going to do about all this? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the love of God upon you, that your mind, heart, spirit, life would be opened to the word of God, to the will of God, to the drawing of the love of God that says, I want you to have victory in me. And that by the grace of God, you would be empowered to both repent and to forgive every grudge so that you can be completely free and be freed from shame and be made whole so that you would have nothing in here that would prevent you from being able to have victory and liberty. Jesus said just before his crucifixion in John chapter 14, verse 30, the prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. A couple of different translations say, there's nothing in me that gives him power over me. There's nothing in me that he can use against me to defeat me. In Jesus' name, I pray that you have received this spirit of conviction and the spirit of grace to be free and to be made whole. In Jesus' name, God bless you.